Hey everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Alright, today we're going for Marty Gallagher Gump Part 5. Uh, we're, we're reminiscing about the past. I think uh, last time we, we ended up in the 80s, uh, Marty was doing some talking about writing. This is when his writing career is really taking off. He's writing for Powerlifting USA. He's... Uh, working with Robert Smith, Muscle and Fitness. Um, we kind of got into his experience uh, with Dorian Yates and meeting him through Muscle and Fitness and and the photo shoot that they they were doing that day and the story that he was he was doing. So you got to hang out with Dorian and kind of uh, become friends with him a little bit. So Marty, you want to take it from there? Hey, first off, now you had to yes, abruptly take off last time uh you had some something oh, going on in your backyard we all want to know what that nah, was yeah that was um <clears throat> i have an overweight cat that we call fat buddy and he uh knocked a candle <laughs> over into a trash can and the thing caught on fire in your backyard uh-huh. no in my kitchen oh oh my god well, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here. I see smoke coming up over top of my computer. <laughs> what the hell's going on? Well, I'm glad you're all right. And too bad uh, we didn't oh, videotape that episode. Oh yeah, that would have gone viral. Yeah. Oh, and he singed just... his. He singed his tail. Well, he's all right then. He has a bald spot on his tail. That's all right. Oh boy. So. All right. Well, he's got eight more lives, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, he's good. <laughs> that buddy. Where did, right, so uh, did you want to continue? Uh, you know, we kind of left off talking about Dorian and stuff. Did you want to pick up with Dorian, uh, or do you want to move on? Yeah, I think that it's everything kind of transitions. I ended up in this strange world where uh, my my own big league competitive aspirations. I uh, got cut short in 1983 when I got the compound fracture of my left lower leg when I inadvertently dropped a 700-pound bar on my back of my leg. So that was the end of that. I had to have a plate put in the leg, and there was a bunch of complications. So I got into coaching, right? Simultaneously, I'm starting my writing career. Um, Hugh Cassidy co-authored my first three or four articles. And so I immediately got published in powerlifting USA. So I'm writing, uh, I can't lift. I'm a, you know, uh, so I get into coaching and I'm pretty good at it and I enjoy coaching and just on the local level, right at Chalet's gym, I coached three world champions. I, you know, I coach Mark Chalet who won the APF Worlds. I coached Don Mills, who was the greatest IPF Masters lifter in history. Don won six straight IPF World Master Championships. Uh, and Kirk, Kirk Kowalski, you know, um, and myself. I won a national a World Masters Championships, IPF World Masters Championships in 92. So uh, locally, we got our chops down, and we were all huge. We were all schooled in Hugh, right? Mm, right. But what we did is we chopped Hugh in half. Like, Hugh was crushing it twice a week. Uh, we'd 
cut the volume in half and stretched it out over the training week. And when I started training with Mark, Mark was the ultra minimalist and I threw in with him. I wanted to, uh, he was successful. His people were successful. And I was like, yeah, well, let's try this thing out. And again, his thing was um, the most minimalistic training I've ever experienced bef before, during, or since. <laughs> he worked up to a single in the squat and the bench press on Monday. And he worked up to a single in the deadlift on Thursday. That was it. No... Any other exercises? He, didn't you say Mark. he was Mark? And I think um, Fantano, because uh, I just brushed up on uh, the Fantano section in Purposeful Primitive mm -hmm. yesterday. Yeah, yep. Th these were two guys that really didn't. They weren't immersed so much in the powerlifting lifestyle, were yeah. they? They went in, did their thing, and very that was good. about it, right? Very good. Yeah, very, very perceptive. Yeah, they uh, both Kenny and Mark. They were both very good at lifting monster weights for short distances but neither of them really cared about like the history or the training or the although i gotta say kenny was a sophisticated trainer but kenny was a very iconoclastic uh, everything all the conclusions that kenny came to came from kenny right he didn't draw on like i i researched everyone Anybody who ever trained, I told uh, I told Larry Pacifico. I said I'm the only guy in history that ever read your book twice because <laughs> it's it's 350 pages of nothing but workouts. Wow! Right, and I'm like to me, it's like uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics, and I you know I speak the language. But Ken and Mark, they they could care less. They were very good at it. The, um, they They're both instinctive trainers, right? Yeah, they both had developed excellent system. Kenny work for him. Oh, Ken worked. Kenny did, uh, even though Kenny did more volume, but yeah. you know, both of those guys built monster physiques. I mean, incredible-looking guys. Uh, freaky. Marty, um, do you think that the the success that they had with such minimalism was uh, a coincidence because that's all the time they wanted to put into it anyway. And it just happened to work. Mm, I think so with Mark. Yeah. Mark was, Mark was never an enthusiastic lifter. <laughs> so right. that's all he wanted to put into it. And it just happened to be the right recipe for him. Uh, he got results for his people doing this. Uh, but again, I think it's just one arrow you have in your quiver, yeah. not your, not your whole thing, but don't tell me it's not valid because I, I've seen Mark set world records. I've done it myself, you know? Uh, so don't tell me that it doesn't work. It does work. And it, it stakes out the extreme left of minimalism. You can't do less than what Mark did and still train. Right. It's like a half a rep. What are you going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what, what less can you do? Not yeah. train. You cannot train, I guess. We don't train, but we go to the competitions. Yeah. And this right? happens to be just perfect for your spec ops guys. I mean, this is. Well, this, later down the road, yeah. Later down yeah, the road, yeah. but but I'm saying yeah. this minimalism is perfect for them because they're doing all kinds of stuff, jumping out of airplanes yeah. and doing all this stuff. Yeah. This and is I mean, all they have time for. Yeah. 
yeah. or for a margin of working up to the one heavy single. Yeah, or one. Or, well, we expanded it to one top set. Right, you did, but didn't yeah. you say the chalet always did the singles? Yeah, that's it. That's all yeah. Mark did, buddy. Yeah, uh, and he might do. I swear to God, now this is a guy who's who deadlifted eight eighty, weighing two seventy, uh, five nine, uh, and, and he might have done what twenty reps a week, cumulative. Twenty reps a week, man. And you're setting world records. What less can you do? Right. So anyway, so I don't, let's not get too bogged down on Mark because uh, I'm just saying yeah. that he was, I'm coaching Mark, I'm coaching Don Mills. Don had a different strategy because Don was older and smarter and had a broader background. And then you've got very young Kirk. Kirk is embryonic. <clears throat> we had to do a lot of work with Kirk for the first three to four years. I mean, you know, he was, um, he was rough and he was bottom heavy and he was wild. And, you know, we had to knock a few edges off him. Yeah. Um, one, one quick thing about Don Mills. Um, you have a chapter in, in your book on him. The, the weight that he was pushing at what age 55 is just incredible. Oh yeah. Um, what were some of his numbers at like 55 years of oh, age? Oh, it's real. It's, it's real easy. At 55, he did a 700 pound squat, a 700 pound deadlift, and a 500 pound bench press, weighing 219 pounds, standing. I don't know, five five. He was strong, man. No now, shit. Oh, excuse me. Now, no, now no did kidding. he start no lifting kidding. later no, in life, or was he uh, early? No, 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 no. He. He started from young. Don would have been a multi, multi-time world champion, but he had a fear of flying. Yeah, he couldn't go to the... He, he overcame it later in life. Later in life, when he got into his 40s, I don't know, he got hypnotized or something and was able to overcome it. Uh, but because he couldn't fly, uh, he missed out on many national championships and world championships. Later in life, when he finally uh, was able to overcome that fear, he, oh man, he crushed... He went to Europe and just rampaged. Every time he went over there, he just slaughtered those guys. Mm. It was it was great, and he's just a, and he was a nice guy. He was beautific. He had a Don had a glow about him. He had what did he do for a living? What, what was, what was uh, he was, he had a good job. He worked for uh, NOAA uh, government. He had a, a government job. Oh, the and, ocean out in the ocean. Yeah, different yeah, National yeah. Oceanographic, and he yeah. worked for them. Oh, yeah. He had a good job. He had a good home environment. And he was just like, he glowed. He had a beautific attitude about him. He was like a Zen guy who never did Zen, you know? Right. And just mellow and complete opposite. And he, one of his, uh, one of Don's old training partners was Mark Dimituk, who was like, Mark was like the complete total opposite. He was so intense all the time. And him and, Don seemed to balance each other out, you know, and they were they were great training power partners. And Dimiduk won a world championship too, but we couldn't stand to train with him. <laughs> well, I mean, he was rough, man. I mean, this is a guy at 220 pound body weight, uh, squatted and deadlifted 775 and bench five 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 hundred. Yeah, right. IPF below parallel stuff. Great lift. Great. So, great, what do you mean you couldn't lifting. stand training with him? Uh, his personality. Like he was just like, hey, put that effing weight on, or he was, what, what was the deal? Well, he was egomaniacal. Okay. 
and uh, he preferred to train with uh, lessers, and he would boss these guys around like, um, I don't know. He, well, I can give you one example. I went over to one session and trained with him. He would invite us over. He would treat us good, but he'd have his little guys around him, you know. And, and at, at the height of the insanity, when he took the squat bar, I mean, and we're talking like 750, and he's going to triple it, right? So he takes, and he, we're lifting at his home in Suitland, Maryland, in kind of a ghetto section, but he has a nice um, condominium. No, it's not a condo. It's a townhouse with a basement. He's got his basement tricked out as a gym. So we'd, we'd lift over there, uh, but you'd have to be worried that your car was going to get jacked while you were <laughs> training, right? Hey, that's what county I'm from. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is Suitland, baby. Yeah. It ain't over there in College Park. So anyway, when we, so at the height of this, so Mark would be uh, like repping 755 for three, take it out of the rack. And one of his guys would, would, would sneak up behind him and put the headphones on his head uh. with the ACDC cranking at top volume with the, remember that you'd have to have a cord coming off headphones yeah. back in those days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I remember one time in one set, the kid got one of the ears off a little bit. And Dimiduk's like, I mean, he cussed him out like General Patton when he said, you ruined my set, man. And I was like uh, the way, you know, uh, Macho Man Savage used to go off. Yeah. Yeah. Except except for real. Right. And And the kid's about peeing his pants. And you guys were like, is all this necessary? <laughs> well, um, he was quite, Mark was quite stimulated, let's say. I've been around, I've been around for people like that. Yeah. yeah, and he was a great, great lifter. But again, he preferred to have sycophants and, you know, lessers. And they would, you know, just take care of his needs. And we were like, uh, you know, we just go up to the big open chalets and you know lift there so uh we i got good at the national at the uh, local level and so we started campaigning our guys at the national level and other lifters started taking notice because at the national level we're kicking ass right right so i get drafted by blacks gym which is a national powerhouse and they put together a team that competes for the national team title so john black gets me and he said look he said i want you and bob fortenbaugh to coach the national team so that's what we did and we campaigned for three years and we won five nationals in three different three different federations mm-hmm. five national championships in three different federations with the best of the best i mean i can in competition i work with you know lamar gant ed Cohn. Dave Jacoby, Kirk Kowalski, Mark Chalet, I mean, Mike Call, it's a, you know, who's uh, Willie Bell, <clears throat> you know, who's who of, you know, uh, great, great, great competitive power lifters. So now I'm going to the Nationals every year, right? Coaching blacks, right. Um, coaching the local guys, right? So the coaching thing is going on. I'm writing articles for powerlifting usa and they're loving my stuff and wanting more 
So then I get a call from Jim Wright at Muscle and Fitness, excuse me, Dr. Jim Wright at Muscle and Fitness, who's the uh, health and science editor for Flex Magazine. He says, hey, man, we've been reading your stuff, and we want you to come to work for Muscle and Fitness. Yeah. That's like yeah. a, man, that was like a dream job, man. And I said, no way, man. I hate bodybuilding. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there wasn't any money in powerlifting publishing. There's some money in that there bodybuilding. That's what I said, right? And he said, well, he said, uh, we'll pay you a dollar a word. And I said, okay, well, let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) Because that was the peak of the magazine era, right? Magazines ruled. This was back in the late 80s into the 90s. What year did you and, start at Muscle and Fitness? Oh, I can't remember the exact year. I'm just going to say the late 80s. Mid, I was certainly... I was reading. I was probably reading your stuff back then and didn't know it. Well, I, I, did, I did 83 feature articles for Muscle and Fitness. 83. Okay. So I was... In one issue, I had five articles. Now, not not all under my my name. I did. I was ghosting articles for Joe Weider. You know, I was ghosting articles. Did you meet Joe Weider? Yeah, of course. Now, what kind of guy was he? Uh, He's not. Joe Weider is not going to be anything to Marty. He's just. I'm just an employee. He's not going to go. Hey, man, let's go uh, party. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying he's a nice guy to you, and he was. Oh yeah, he had a good. He's a politician. He's a politician at that level. They're always on stage when they're walking around amongst us. And we'd see him at the Arnold and we'd see him at the Night of Champions and we'd see him at the Olympia. Yeah. And uh, but he would stay separate from us. It wasn't like <clears throat> the writers were. I mean, we were we were treated first class. I mean, Weeder was first class organization. Right. Uh, for example, we had. When I was at its peak, we had 35 bodybuilders under contract. Mm. Okay. And that would be all the, way, all the way from the Olympia. Well, if you got a weeder contract, that meant you didn't have to work a day job. Just lift and eat and sleep, buddy. And so the competition for those contracts was fierce. Mm-hmm. Right. And that it would shift competition to competition year to year, month to month. Now, Marty, you were on the East Coast. Weeder was on the West Coast. So were you flying over there quite a bit or what were you doing? No, no, no. Go to the comp. uh, uh, They wanted me to go to the competitions to do competition coverage. Okay. So I go and the, the big three were the Night of Champions. Right. Which is usually at the Beacon Theater in New York City. The Olympia. And the Arnold in Columbus. Now, so, was, it, was it the Arnold back then or was it the universe? No, it was the Arnold. Okay. So each year uh, they would fly me to the, these competitions and I'd sit in the front row in the press section and I'd write up uh, coverage. And they'd usually also have me interview a specific bodybuilder, somebody who was hot. Uh, so they'd get my competition coverage and a feature on the bodybuilder. Okay. Right. So they get two articles out of me, but I'll tell you, man, they, it was first class at the Olympia and the Arnold. <laughs> if uh, you were with muscle and fitness, man, they put us up in suites, uh, <clears throat> flew us uh, first class. 
uh, we, they gave us expense accounts, man. Can you imagine the, the lunacy of giving me an expense account? <laughs> oh, man. We'll go for oh, whiskey, right? right? <laughs> now, food. First, we go for food. Then we go for the food first. <laughs> we would have never got anything published, man. We <laughs> oh, I was the worst. I was the worst employee. You know, so, so when they hired me, so Jim Wright and, and the, my immediate boss was Bob Wolf, who I love. But, and his boss was Tom Dieters, Dr. Tom Dieters. Tom was in charge of the Weeder magazines, right? Because we had Flex, we had Muscle and Fitness. What was the girls' magazine? I can't remember. Mist, whatever it was. Shape, shape. Yeah, shape, right. And we had, a, I think he also had like a golf magazine. And we had Prime Fitness. There was a, a, fleet, a fleet of Weeder magazines. And, and Tom was over top of all of them. Bob was my boss at Muscle and Fitness. <clears throat> Bob was great. He was just like, Marty, just get it done, man. He said, you're great. And, you know, for four years, I never went to the night show. Yeah, you were saying. <laughs> so I was doing the competition coverage, and they'd fly me there. And I, I couldn't I couldn't stand to go to the night show. Have you been to one of these things which like, yeah. Three hours of, of one bodybuilder after another, and they're coming out and they're like posing to Phil Collins songs, and <laughs> you, you know what I mean. And it's just it's it's maddening. So I told Bob when they hired me, I said, Bob, I'll take this job, but I got to have some latitude. He goes, No problem, man. Just get us the good copy. That's all we care about. So I I go to the prejudging. And I'd get a copy of the judge's scoring. And you can tell everything there is to know about the placings at the prejudging. Right. So I would give away my press pass front row ticket to somebody. My, you know, So some strange dude, I think I gave it to Ed Cohn one year. So Ed just was like sitting in the front row and they're like, What's going on? I say, well, you know, Marty gave me his front row press pass. I'd be back in the hotel, like watching the UFC or something. So, would you have to stay for a couple of days after the show and do your interviews oh, and things like that? Everything, everything but the night show was great. Yeah. It was one big party. It was fantastic. And I would uh, pal around with uh, Julian Schmidt, the head guy at Flex, who I loved. Julian was great, and Jimmy Wright, who was an Arkansas boy, and Jim had. Jim would have been a, a army colonel and he had been char in charge of the U.S. Army study of steroids to create the super soldier. Mm. So and Jim and I were tight. We were very good friends. And Julian was great, too. The other guys were kind of the other staff writers at Muscle and Fitness and Flex. They were kind of like journalism guys that had graduated high in journalism school and they, they really didn't know uh, bodybuilding or lifting. They're kind of passing through, but they were good technical writers. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. So, yeah. you know, when I read those magazines, I, I took everything uh, as gospel. And then you read stuff like, Oh, those guys don't really do all that much or they don't train that hard or they don't, or Mentor didn't do just one set or you know, how much is, bullcrap that we were reading back then and how much I is think you'd have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis the the part of the reason that i was so heavily used at muscle and fitness is because i got i became the training guy yeah <clears throat> the guys are coming out of journalism school like the last thing they wanted to do was the training and nutrition articles the nuts and bolts stuff 
because they really didn't know it. Now, you say to me, hey, Marty Gallagher, why do you want to interview Dorian Yates on how he trains his back? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, let's go. Hey, do you want to talk to Dorian about how he gets so lean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me do that. So I had the reputation as the go-to guy for the training articles. So I was interviewing the top pro bodybuilders in the world on how they ate to get ripped and how they trained. And when I interviewed them, it was truthful because I was into it. Yeah. And they sensed that I was into it. And you know what? They're into it. Yeah, everybody wants to talk about their craft when somebody else has respect for it, you know. Yeah, and knows and knows the craft. Yeah, you know? knew the training. You were actually passionate about what you were doing. That, yeah. See, that's funny. That's the same way in my business. You know, we we manufacture and sell fitness equipment, but a lot of the and manufacturers, the salesmen, and all that that I deal with, man, they could care less about fitness. It's like to them, it's like selling furniture or yeah. cars yeah. or whatever. So I never or got coat, it. So, coat hangers or coat so, hangers. so you must have been the go-to guy over there for all the, the technical stuff. So I, like, Well, yeah, that's that's why I did 83 articles. Yeah, probably like Everton was when he was there and Hatfield too, you know. I was a little after them. Fred and Jeff left right before I got there, but I knew them, right? And I, got, I had gotten good uh, recommendations from for me from them. Yeah, you were one of them, you know, Hatfield. Yeah, yeah. and Jeff was great. I love Jeff. Yeah, smart. So, oh, so anyway, so in addition, some crazy things that happened while we were there. So they'd send us to the Olympia, right? And that was always a, a, a first-class kind of deal. So for, I think it was three years in a row, they held the Olympia in Atlanta. Yep. Joe was trying to convince the head of the International Olympic Committee, what was his name, Antonio something, Samarach. He took bribes. Who <laughs> happened, and the guy happened to live in Atlanta. So, yeah, so for three years in a row, Joe had the Olympia at the Atlanta, and he'd wine and dine this guy, and he'd bring him in and have him sit in the front row, because this guy, the teaser that he was teasing Joe with, was that he was going to get bodybuilding into the Olympics. Yeah, right. Mm. And that was Joe's soft spot. So for three years in a row, we went to, went to Atlanta, which was a good city. We had a good time, but one year it was so crazy. So again, we're, we're staying in the best hotel in Atlanta, whatever it is. And they had a, um, a suite on the top that if you had a suite, you could go up to the top floor to this private club and you could just walk in and get free booze. And they had like free fresh pastries at any time, day or night. So you could get a beer. They had an open bar. Right. They had these seats looking out over the city. So myself and Julian Schmidt and um, Jim Wright are up there and we're like going, man, this is fantastic. <laughs> right. And we're eating the food and drinking the booze. And we don't have to go anywhere, which is great. So up all of a sudden in walks Jeff Everson and some super hot fitness babe. And they're like, hey, and so they're like, hey, it's coming whatever. Jeff is like, uh, he's at his peak. So he's like six foot three. He's got the curly blonde hair that you have to go to the beauty parlor for. Yeah. Perm. Right? He's got like a blonde perm. Yeah. He's, he's wearing a turquoise earring. It had like feathers in it too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. 
He's got on a buckskin fringe jacket. Right. He's huge. I mean, he's, I don't know, probably 250, right? Yeah. Fit, blonde, Nordic looking, looks great. He's got a PhD, right? He's a smart guy. So he sits down and we go, hey, who's the babe? And he goes, this is the future of female fitness. <laughs> it was Corey. Was it Corey? Yeah, it was some some other. This was past, oh. just post Corey. Just some some babe he was trying to put the hustle yeah. on. That's all. And he was getting his way. So we sat around and we had free drinks. So how could he get any stranger? Well, <laughs> ding ding, in comes Louis Farrakhan and the fruit of Islam. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> <laughs> So here they come, and he's got like five guys around him, and they all look like uh, coming into your your suite. Uh, well, we're again, we're sitting, we, we're we're at the what is it, the hospitality suite on the top okay. floor got it. of the luxury hotel with glass windows around all four sides and free stuff for the high rollers, which as normal people we'd never have access to, but because we were Muscle and Fitness and we were staying in the big suites, they gave us access to that. Well, Farrakhan was in town, and this is the best hotel in town, so that's where he's staying. So he has access, too. So he comes up, and he rolls out with the Fruit of Islam, and they all look like, oh, I don't know, Mike Tyson, right? <laughs> in suits with bow ties. Mm-hmm. And they're not in a good mood. And they just come in and sit down, and, and Farrakhan, no one says a word. Like, we're over there laughing and having a good time, blah, blah. And, and they'd like come in and we see him over there and they're like quiet as church mice. And they bring him a plate of cookies and he starts reading a newspaper next to the window and, and eating like nibbling at one cookie at a time. And they're standing around him like in, you know, relaxed soldiers poses. And we know that each of them has got a gun. Right. And they're just looking at us and we're like. Okay, whatever. So uh, that was uh, that was one night at the Olympia, and we stayed there for hours. And, and did y'all ever start talking? Oh no, 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 no. There was no. <laughs> no, no, no. I wonder uh, they weren't there to see the show or anything, were they? No, 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 Just on, no uh, way. They had other things going on. So anyway, so that's what I'm doing. Uh, and in addition to to that. Uh, all of a sudden, I start deciding I'm going to compete again. But but now in bodybuilding, is, no, you're going to change body. it over well, to bodybuilding, right? Before you go further, people are going to really because I I know I want to know this. Right, okay. Who trained hard? Who was a jerk? Who was cool? Who you yeah. know? Right. Who, the whole thing, man, in the bodybuilding world. Well, uh, the guy I had the most respect for was Dorian. Yeah, he was a lot like 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 you in personality and also in training. I think so. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think that that that's that's true. He was uh, uh, um, he was isolationist. He uh, he didn't need he didn't need to go to the Gold's gym and have you know fifteen yeah. guys people telling him how great he was. Yeah, you know, and the opposite. He wanted to go with when there nobody was there, just him and Leroy, and let's just pound it out. You used to talk about, uh, and you still do, Occam's Razor, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Dorian is the epitome of that. Well, let's not yeah. make something hard when for, it can be simple. For bodybuilding, let's, yeah. let's just break this down 
and study it and figure out the, you know, shortest distance between where I need to go. Well, again, I know we talked about it before, but I think it's worth repeating. I wrote an article for Muscle and Fitness, which both Dorian and Ed love, pointing out the similarities between Ed Cohn, his power bodybuilding routine, and Dorian's bodybuilding power routine at the time. The similarities were amazing. They were both going to one all-out top set. Okay? Now, the the difference was at that point, Dorian would go on to forced reps. Yeah, negatives and forced reps, yeah. No, no there's no negatives. He, and his, watch he, he, we watch that. Leroy's saying, slow it down, slow it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but he's not like he's got three guys picking up no, weight. No, and he's drop, not doing no. sets of negatives, no. No, no, no. But again, uh, that, that so, but he's not walking in off the street, loading the leg press machine to 1,300 pounds, and starting to rep. No, he's got to do 600, nine, you know what I mean? He's got to do the warm-up sets. If you add the warm-up sets into what Dorian's doing, it's a lot less resembling Arthur Jones' one set to failure with forced reps and negative, and it's a more like powerlifting with forced reps. How much, how much of an impact do you think that Dorian had on the future of uh, bodybuilding training? Do you think it changed much, or do you think it's, it's no, primarily no, still a volume? No, no, no. Jimmy, yeah. go ahead. Hard. It's too hard. And, Is that well, why, Jim, it's too hard? I, I think a lot of it has to do with, you, you know— the thing, you know, Dorian was a smart guy and is a smart guy. So he understood the mental aspect of it. So if you hear, I mean, I've listened to every podcast he's ever done pretty much. And it's all, he was getting ready, you know, like Lawrence Taylor was getting ready on a Wednesday for a Sunday game. He was, yeah. he was visualizing stuff. He was yeah. studying his training diary yeah. and he could summate that intensity because of his prep that he did. So he wasn't fooling around. He was, Taking a two-hour nap every day, sleeping eight hours, you know, his whole life. Right, existence, his whole existence. Yeah, and so you have to be so mentally strong. Like, no, you have to be, first off, you have to be in a position where you're isolated. If you're continually pushed and pulled, pushed and pulled by life. Yeah. Yeah, he was different. He was uh, more of a, a monk, a priest. Yeah, he he didn't want to, he didn't care about being in the movies and all these Mr. Olympia, see you later. No. But what he cared about was making progress, and he found right. out the secret to do that, which was a lot of clean calories. Mm-hmm. He was, he's naturally, he's a little bit like my wife. My wife is naturally a very clean eater. Yeah. You know, just some people, naturally, they gravitate toward good foods, and Dorian is like that. He's not, um, He even at his peak, he was eating bagels, and he yeah. had fat in his in his uh, beef. He ate cat beef with fat in it mm. in, in his in his eating. Uh, he wasn't the super strict. I'm gonna eat you know skinless, boneless chicken breast with steamed broccoli and steamed rice, and that's it. He wasn't that. He had he had a good amount of variety, and he never went below 3,200 calories even in the final weeks up to the Olympia. And was yeah. he doing tons and tons of cardio? No. Walk with his dogs. No. Yeah. He, yeah. But again, when he's when you're 
In the off-season, when he's 300 pounds, a, a brisk walk will spike your heart rate to 170. It's very easy to get the cardio effect with just brisk walking, and that's a great way when you're that gigantic. As he whittles down, he's going to have to you know, increase the pace, get on a different machine. But he had all that down. The, the thing that he had, I think, was his the ability to become so extreme in the off-season. There's not many five foot ten. He's he says he's five eleven. He's my height. I've stood next to him, so okay, whatever. So not many five foot eleven guys that can get to three hundred pounds with a ten percent body fat percentile. Yeah. Jim, if you look at his body fat percentile in um, what's his uh, film noir thing that we like, uh, blood and guts. Yeah, blood and guts. That's ten percent body fat percentile. Yeah. And he's wearing he's weighing two ninety-five. At least. <laughs> so you know, when he when he whittles when he get when he walks in at I saw him when he weighed two sixty. Um I walked into the photo shoot. Now could you imagine how horrible it is? You win the Olympia the night before. Biggest prize in bodybuilding. You can't have a beer, you can't have a drink of water because you've got a photo shoot the next day. The next morning, you know, I put up. Uh, can you imagine what torture that is? And he was dead on it. I showed up at that photo shoot the next day at eight a.m. and he's chewing a dry bagel. He is so cut that his jaw, the muscles in his face, yeah, are yeah. like a skeleton. Right? He's like, "Hey, how you doing?" He's so nice, so friendly, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're like, all right, what are we going to do today? He's got, you know, here's what we're going to do. He had a he had striations in his jaws. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That is, that's exactly right. He had that ability to get down to that super low body fat percentile, but he wasn't doing the extreme stuff. The other guys were doing three hours of cardio a day. They yeah. were cutting every gram of fat out of their eating. They were living on 800 calories a day. You know what I mean? It was just uh, horrible. It was like prison camp stuff. Yeah. And they weren't getting the results that he was getting living on what? 32 to 3,500 calories a day going into the Olympia. Yeah. Wow. But he's exactly right on the intensity, man. You want to see something crazy. You want to see some intense training, go on YouTube and go to, and uh, get uh, blood and guts, bring that up and watch him training. But you know, and I, and we've talked about this before. Jim, Jim and I have seen that kind of training all the time. You know what? Is there any other way to train? And he's right. No, nobody no. nobody wants to train that hard. I can't imagine not training like that because I'm in. I'm in to kick ass and get out, right. and that's it. My top sets, I can't imagine not going to failure and just, you know, if I've got a spotter, yeah, a couple more, uh, right. you know, forced reps and all that. That's Yeah, that would be great. Otherwise, how does the body physically change? It doesn't. It's it's It prefers sameness. You've got to Jim, shock the heck a, out of it to really get it to change. Jim, you had a good point the other day that I had never heard before. You said that, that Mentor had, had noted that Schwarzenegger had actually gained all his size back mm-hmm. in Austria. And those, yeah. like, if you look at those early pictures of him when he's yeah. like a kid with baby fat. Yeah. And, and what was it? Can you riff on that a little uh, bit? He, was he, that, he, that, was, that Mentor, was it, it Mentor who said that? Yeah. And, and uh, echoes it now that, uh, you know, basically Arnold just refined what he already had that he built with heavy 700 pound deadlifts and squats and all that. And, and sort of this, 
this 50 workouts. So all the, all, you're talking about all the 700 sets a week stuff. Yeah, it was more like his calorie burning almost. Now, now let's yeah. be honest. You know, like cardio, some, right? He did some size, gained some size and stuff, but not a whole bunch. If you really look at his pictures, you could carve up him in 69 and he would look like 75. You right. know what like I mean? If he had a magical fat burning right. gun. Yeah, to make he suddenly zapped him around and all that, but mm -hmm. that you know he did a good job gaining that big size, and then he was like, "Huh, he's a smart guy," so I, he was probably like, "Let's refine this." I kind of like that. Uh, I kind of like that uh, hypothesis. The only thing I would say is that he also was uh, able to bring up some weak points. Yeah, we got the calf implants, and uh, oh, now, now you know that did, did he really do that? that? Allegedly. Well, if you listen to Roger Cal Roger Callard, I listened to a podcast of Roger Callard the other day, and he said, oh, oh, that was, he just went away for a month or a, a, a couple days, and he was out of the gym for a month, and he had new calves. That's what Roger Callard said. But you'll remember when, when he came here from Austria, he his calves were so bad, he was so self-conscious about it. He, little he, baby calves. He, he, he posed baby. in water up to his knees. Remember those shots? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. Let's not. That's get how Marty poses. Oh man, I, I have never. When his, when his is up, the water's up to his chest. <laughs> oh, 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 I, I, I got to tell this story myself too. So we're at the um, at the Night of Champions, yeah, which I love because it was at the Beacon Beacon uh, Theater, which is a great old theater. Like the Rolling Stones would play there and stuff, and and it was a great venue and great restaurants right in Manhattan. Um, but it was in the prejudging, and we had partied pretty hard the night before. We'd gotten there on Friday, and the prejudging was Saturday morning. And um, I'm in the front row, and I fall asleep and start snoring. <laughs> <laughs> so Wayne DeMilla, who's like MC, and goes, ah. Uh, and you snore loud too, dude. <laughs> he said, "He said, uh, somebody wake Gallagher up, please. I can see how excited he is. <laughs> That's how excited I was about bodybuilding. It was pretty rough, man. I mean, you. I mean, you know, it was. I felt bad because, like, at the at you know, if you went to a night show, you'd see guys like who had worked so hard, they never even get a call out. Yeah, can you imagine how embarrassing that is? Yeah, back then it was a lot of, oh, you have to pay your dues and stuff like that. Well, there, was a, uh, there was a lot of good physiques that didn't really rank in the top 11. Yeah. I'll tell you what I did see that impressed the hell out. Oh, oh, and also I could wander around. Now, now, if I did. Wait a minute, you didn't tell us who was cool, who wasn't, all that. Who trained hard, who didn't. Uh, I really, well, Dorian obviously trained hard. Right. Um, I had, uh, i tell you who was really strange was Paul Dillette. Okay. His physique was so strange from the front, man. The guy was Mr. Yeah. Olympia. He yeah. had it all, man. From the front, he had the arms. He had the delts. Larry Scott said, that guy has the best delt I've ever seen in a human. Now, can I tell right? you something? And Larry would know. Go ahead, Ben. So I'm working for Lou Zwick back in it was 91, 92. So Lou goes, go, go pick up, go to LAX and pick up Paul Dillette. So I did. <laughs> So I drive down, I'm like, huh? Hope you had a big car. No, that's the funny part. You know, I was like 19 driving a Toyota Tercel stick shift, no air conditioning. And I get sent down, and I'm sure he remembers this. Because it was a stick shift, 
And this dude had the widest shoulders I've ever seen in my life. And he gets in my car and we're pulling out of the parking lot and I'm leaned all the way over on my side, almost having to hang out the window. This dude is so wide. So well, what are you, what are you wearing snowflake <laughs> at like 19? I don't know. I was probably like, I was probably like two thirty something like that. Um, and I wanted to compete in bodybuilding and, and do all that, but I, I never did. I never had the right body type for it, but uh, I got along with Paul really. Well, you, you, you must have been like Chris Farley next to Paul McCartney on Saturday <laughs> Night Live. Hey, he he was the most. I, I pick him up, and I didn't know what he looked like when I went down there. But as soon as he he gets off the plane, he was he was two ninety two at the time. He had on this this tight black long sleeve shirt. Of Dude course. had like twenty three inch arms. Was massive. Yeah. I, of course, I instantly knew who it was. Yeah. So. Uh, I introduced myself and I said, well, I'm supposed to pick you up and take you to the Marina Pacific Hotel in Venice. And um, so we went over there. Uh, that, that, that was a notoriously swinging place. It was. It was just down the right. What was the, name, like, of the, what was the name of the guy who ran that? That was the, the oh, it was, um, bodybuilding guy. What was that guy's name, Jim? Um, was it Tim, Tim Kimber? Or no. It, uh, no. No, Tim owned the Gold's Gym oh, partly. Yeah. I think it was partly with... Uh, Oh, Joe Bucci? Yes, that's it, Joe Bucci. Yeah. Yeah, Pennsylvania. That is, some, that is some good trivia right there, buddy. Brother. Very good. Now, these so, I, just I read every word of every magazine. <laughs> Good-looking guy with a mustache. Yeah, huge biceps, huge yeah. AAU guy, too. So, all right, so I, how long is your delay? All right, we, so we leave there. The and then got right. in my car. Wait a minute. You guys are trying to run me over here. No. So, so, so anyway, here? so we leave the hotel. He goes, all right, let's go get something to eat. So we go down the street somewhere. I don't remember where it is, but we're sitting in the booth, and I'm looking at this guy, and his from shoulder to shoulder, he takes up the entire booth on that side. And I'm looking at his. He had changed into a, a short sleeve shirt, I think he had on, and I was looking at his forearms. He had stretch marks on his forearms. I mean, this is how massive this dude was. I, what do you eat? What do you eat? Yeah, that's what oh, I wanted man. to know. I, you know, I don't remember. Did he eat a lot or a little? I mean, did he like crush it? And, you like, know what? I, I, I don't remember. Like, it was You're so staring long at ago. his forearms? <laughs> but you blew it, brother. You blew the, it. The, the interesting thing is, was um, there was, Lou had, uh, I think it was muscle mania or something going on, but we went to one of these, uh, one of the bodybuilding shows and we're backstage and like, you know, Barry DeMay's back there and all these guys and they're all seeing Paul for the first time. They're tripping out. They're going, oh my God, dude, you're the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. Well, come to find out, um, he was out there too to see Weeder, and I guess Weeder signed him on a contract that uh, that weekend. But wow. that was he was two ninety two, about six two, um, and just massive at the time. But very cool dude. We hung out all day long. I chauffeured him around, you know, took him to shoots and shows and hotel and and places to eat. So. He he went on my cool list. He's uh, he was a very nice guy to hang out with. Um, so that's my Paul Delette story. Got it. That was a good one. But it was. Uh, well, you you've told me about some other guys. What else can you share, Marty, about guys that you had in your about the training? <laughs> so, about 
they're eating. Well, okay, give me some common, commonalities among the top guys. Uh, let me finish with Paul first. Okay. From the front, <laughs> Mr. Be Mr. nice Olympia. now. No, I'm, not, I'm just being truthful. From the front, Mr. Olympia. Yeah. From the back, Mr. Dayton. He really couldn't present it very well, though, either, man. He, no, he, had, nothing, he, had, nothing, he had nothing to present. What do you mean? His, when he turned around, he had no back. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying his posing and stuff, it was like, uh, it was it very matter, Jim, it didn't matter. It was two different humans. Yeah. <laughs> Why was, is it because you think he didn't he, do the stuff he, that he needed he, to do? He or just he had, because he was like a genetic, he was like a Canadian football player guy. Yeah. And he got into it late, and he just did the beach muscles. He did all the muscles you can see in the mirror. Right. Right. But he turned around his back. Every people used to gasp when he turned around. They were like, <gasps> like, did something happen to him in the war? <laughs> he got his back shot off. What, oh, uh, what was the yeah, best he ever placed wait, in the Olympia? Wait, wait, wait. I, mean, I don't know, whatever, eighth, whatever. But I'm just saying, but he was one of the most photographed. He was like, what was the other guy? Oh, uh, Kovacs. Dillette uh, uh, had body parts that were so photographed. Yeah. I mean, from the front, man, he was everywhere. Yeah, he was a freak and, from the front, his arms and his shoulders. And oh, man, man. And, you know, and, and but, but again, you'll never see a back shot of him. And like, I was going to say, like Mike Matarazzo, if you yeah. ever know. Spencer had trouble with his back, too. Well, if or if you if you ever get a full physique shot of Matarazzo, his shoulders are so narrow and his hips are so wide. It's like, wow, that's weird. But he's got these great uh, limbs. He's got great arms and great yeah. legs, yeah. great calves, great legs, great arms. But just his torso is like weird. Another one was a guy named Mike Quinn. Not the uh, not the Mike Quinn you're thinking of. There was a second. Mike Quinn, who was uh, had very narrow shoulders and wide hips. Jim Quinn. Hmm? Jim Quinn. That's what I'm thinking, Jim Quinn. Yes, Jim Quinn. Jim yeah, Quinn. he was a football player, right? He was one of those guys that when he posed, he looked great relaxed, but then when he posed, it didn't pop out. You know what I mean? Now, was, yeah. you should say that. You know what Arnold said on that? What is that? He said, he said, you know, he said, guys like Franco, he said, they look so, so good when they're just standing there. And I would add Kirk. Or Joe Ladnier, or Ed Cohn, or Doug Furness, or any of these guys. When they're just standing around, it's like, man, look at that Thick. guy. Thick. He said, but he said, but Arnold says, but when they pose up, not much happens. Yeah. Okay? yeah. Now he said, he said, now he said, when a guy like me, being Arnold, is just standing around, people are like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, no big deal. He said, but when I pose, he says, I explode. Yeah. Comes to and life. You, know, you know what the difference is? It's in the training. If you train as a bodybuilder, where you just stuff the muscle with blood, stuff the muscle with a pump, the muscle, pump the muscle, pump, and you don't care about the pound. Your mat weight doesn't matter. You're just going to jam as much blood as hard and as often, and you can do 30s, and you can do the whole palm plats thing you know and you can do 30 reps in your own and have people give you 10 reps on the leg press whatever whatever horrible extended set stuff you want to do you can do 
but and, and you will develop that expansion ability, particularly if you do it on a repeated basis. You'll you'll engorge the muscle with blood, and engorge the muscle, and every time you get that. But it has nothing to do with strength. Any strength is strictly coincidental. But you, you you're stretching. Where, uh, where you're stretching out the, you're stretching out the where, fascia, right? So that. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah, sausage yeah, yeah, casing yeah, yeah, yeah. is looser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very good. Very good. Exactly. Because you're you're continually, but expanding it with blood, expanding it right. with blood. So it's got and more room to lift. expand when you when you flex. Yeah. Well, you so keep where, you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and every time the thing loosens up. Where, where people like Kirk and Franklin and all that look so great, relaxed. That was you know pure fiber size. When those other guys get some fiber size and then they get that junk in the muscle, sarcoplasmic hypertrophy or something. It's and, and you know, if you notice those type of guys, those pumpers in the off season, they get skinny. They well, get, yeah. Yeah. If you notice like Arnold in the off season, man, right? You know, he, he was not Arnold until he, well, he started. Yeah, there's working. some shots yeah, where he looks downright skinny, especially his legs. Or Flex Wheeler. Yeah, see, they, they shrink. They shrink. Or uh, or um, Sean Ray. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They just, of course, they, of course, they shrink because they're artificial. But, but I think their off seasons back then were a lot different than today. I think off season today they oh, just hit it heavier and eat more. And no, 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 no. I don't think there is an off season today, is there? I yeah, I don't I, think so. I, I, just... think, I think they just say if 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 you go off. You know, that's stupid. You're wasting time. Yeah, you can't go off, but you just gain weight I mean, that, and gain I mean, muscle and just crazy. stronger yeah, in the off-season. It's insane. I have, I have no clue what current, you know, what the current habits are of the of the elite. Yeah. You know, I, I don't really want to know. I will say this. I saw Yates was talking about it, and he said, you know, he said this new generation, he said everybody has a coach. He said back in our day, the, the deal was that you, as the the bodybuilder, it was your responsibility to riddle it out. Yeah. He's got a good point. He's got, he said, he said, know, now, he said, now these guys can't think for themselves. Yeah. The, the thing that he did, and, and, you know, this is what I do when I, not even on a scale, of course, but have somebody look at your photos because you can't look at it with your own eye and be that. That's different. Yeah, and that's the only have, thing. And have everybody the that have some other guy plan your every training well, move, know, every cardio yeah. move, your every bite you put in your mouth. And they have so to these call guys you. send they send their coaches pictures every single morning, every day of the year. Great. And then they, you know, and then they, they make adjustments. I don't know how that's. I don't know how you could do that, but uh, yeah, it's a lot I of. Think, I think it's called obsessive compulsive. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, hey, well, Marty, we're talking about coaching. Okay. Form without function, man. We're talking no about functionality. We're talking about coaching. Can we go back to your coaching real quick? I wanted to ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, currently you're coaching some of the best in the world: uh, spec ops athletes, uh, you know, other other government folks. Yep. Um, you're, but you're coaching. When it really started to develop, was that because was that right after you broke your leg and you figured, well, I like coaching, I'm good at it, let me really get into it a lot more. Let me let me do more of it. Yeah, well, was I that... was working with 
I was working with Mark before that, but I mean, I mean, working with Mark got me to the national level. And at the national level, I found that I could thrive and survive and very few can. Yeah. Right. So, and then I got picked up by more and more wider, wider. And, you know, eventually you get drafted to be a coach for the world team. And then you're, you know, you're lucky enough that your world team, Team USA, wins the world team title. Yeah. But I guess my question was, had it not been for you having that, you know, that disastrous squat session at the gym and breaking your leg, do you think your coaching today would be where it's at? Um, Yeah. 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 I do. So you don't think it really steered you towards coaching more no i have done it anyway okay Uh, yeah yeah definitely definitely you get an opportunity to coach that level and you find that you're successful at it right jim yeah yeah it's a it's a gift plus I'm, i'm i'm being asked to coach i mean you know like you show up and they go okay well you're gonna coach lamar gant all right, here's a question go. for you. All right. I'm like, yeah, okay, great, let's go. And then he's cool. Here's a question right? for you. Between, between coaching, being an athlete, a muscle correspondent, a writer, what have you really enjoyed the most? No, what really just, gets you fired up the most? No, you can't, you can't do it that way. It doesn't work like that. It's just... Depends where you are, whatever point in time you're at. There was a lot, a lot of other stuff going on too that was, you know, equally as enjoyable. While all this is going on, I'm heavily immersed in the in the DC Baltimore rock and roll scene, right? And I'm um, doing that whole rock and roll lifestyle with these, you know, incredibly successful musicians, and all that's going on too, right? I mean, it's uh, it's a uh, cavalcade and it it kind of ended in 1989 when i moved to connecticut and i got a job ramrodding a steel warehouse a giant steel warehouse i had 35 guys working for me and that's when i fell in with ken fantano and those guys so all of a sudden I'm relocated. I'm in a new new area. And the first weekend I'm in New Haven, Connecticut. I mean, well, we were in uh, actually Milford, but the bar we went to was in Bridgeport. It's at this marina. It's a marina next to a sewage plant. And they have all these beautiful boats in this brand new marina. And they've got all these shops and everything except it stinks, <laughs> right? And everyone pretends not to notice. Right. And we just, everybody goes about their business not noticing. So we, <clears throat> we go in this giant bar and they've got this beautiful open wooden and, you know, looking out over the water and stuff and everything. And so we're like, you know, it's a Sunday morning, so we're drinking Bloody Marys and they already got a reggae band going on the deck. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a good scene. And so there's, you know, so my boss who's with me, we were about four drinks in and he pokes me in the side and he goes, Hey, he says, look at that big, 
son of a bitch. He said, you must know him. Because <laughs> all big guys know each other. <laughs> I'm like, kind of a strange comment, because I'd never been in, uh, the first weekend in this town in a bar I'd never been in. And I look over, and I know the guy. It is a small world. <laughs> <laughs> it was a giant super heavyweight. I coached a giant super heavyweight named Elliot Smith, and we had competed at the APF Nationals in Florida the previous June. And uh, this was six months later. And the guy we took second, the guy who took third was a guy named Dino. And we, you know, uh, I forget who won. We took second. Dino took third. This is in the super heavyweight class at the APF Junior Nationals, which was a big deal. And that night, uh, the next day, we lifted on Saturday. On Sunday, they had a big beach party. We partied very heavily with Dino. And then, so here he, I'm six months later, I'm in a bar, and there he is over there. And he's got like, you know, he's got a whole group of people all around him, and they're hanging on his every word. And he's all, you know, buffed out and wearing sunglasses indoors. And so I go over, and he goes, he like looks at me like I'm a ghost. He goes, Where'd you come from, man? I said, I, I said, I said, I don't, I'm just here. And I asked him, I said, you know, where do you train? He said, there's only one place. You got to go to Fantano's. I was like, okay. I said, can you make an introduction? I just don't want to walk in. He said, yes. He said, let me handle it. Now I later found out that Dino's people were mobbed up and they owned the sewage plant next door. Uh, that's why nobody was complaining. Why would they own a sewage plant? Because there's money in it, man. That's why. Yeah, always going to be sewage. Okay. It's just like there's always going to be a trash. lot of money in it. Yeah. So anyway, Dino, and again, Fantana. See, they're they're all Italians, right? So, so Dino. I mean, he makes the introduction and he calls me back. He says, "I talked to Ken. He says, come on over on such and such a day at such and such a time." And I did. And uh, you know we. We hit it off, thank God. You know, now, you and, didn't know uh, it yet, but this was going to be a big chapter going forward with with your lifting, with Kirk's lifting, uh, with all these other guys. Oh yeah, Ken was Ken this was a, a genius. This connection here with Fantano is a big deal that you're about to embark on. Yeah, he was a genius in in his uh, his his way. And again, I'd never worked with a uh basically these guys trained on sunday and they did squat bench and deadlift and they did arms so uh, he would shut the gym on sunday he couldn't he uh he just couldn't get it together during the week so sunday he shut the gym to the public and i don't know there were maybe 15 of us lifting on three different platforms depending on your strength level how big was the place uh, you know, it was a good size. It was like one big open room with a lot of equipment. Oh, I've got to tell you the story. I've told this story in Perfect perf Primitive. So the first time I met him, right, and I walk in, I'm like really respectful. And he's like, and he's a little reserved. I mean, he's not like, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. And he's like, and he's he's 5'10 and 360. Okay. He's gigantic. <laughs> And uh, he don't look fat. He looks like Louis Sear, the great Canadian strongman. Mm -hmm. 
and he's extremely athletic in his movements and stuff. He's quick and he's agile. You can just tell the way he moves. You know, like Jackie Gleason had that same kind of body movement when he danced. I mean, it's just some big guys just have the they're very spry. And, and Fantano had that, and he was left-handed. So we're sitting there at the counter, and we're talking. And there's this giant guy doing tricep pushdowns over there. And he's singing to himself. He's got headphones on. He's saying, hey, Jude. Sounds like my gym. Take a second. And and, and Kenny goes, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, shut up, man. Shut up. And she goes, where were we, Mark? He called me Mark, M-A-R-T. I said, okay, whatever. Okay. Hey, okay, Mark. And he said, where were we? And so we talk and then do the end. La, 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 la. You know, the guy's, he says, God damn it, Jimmy, shut up. <laughs> the third time, I swear to God, he turns around left-handed. He picks up a canister of protein powder. He throws it 20 feet, and it hits this guy in the side of the head and explodes. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> this powder, like, goes what a everywhere. What protein, huh? Uh, well, it gets uh, a little better, right? So this powder explodes, and this guy's like sweaty, so it comes down on him. And now he's got like all, he's like coated in white powder. So he drops the tricep thing, and he's looking around for somebody to kill. No, he didn't know it was him. Is he? Yeah. Well, he looks around, the first guy, the only other guy he sees is me. And he glares at me, and I'm, I like, like take a <laughs> finger and like point to my left and there's Kenny and Kenny goes, yeah. he says, yes, Jimmy, I did it. And if you do it again, I'm going to do it again. And Jimmy goes, Oh, so sorry, Kenny. So sorry. He said, and Ken goes, now clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first introduction to Ken. Right. Oh man. He was the real deal. They used to play wiffle ball outside in the parking lot. And it'd be like, you know, uh, 15, 300 pound guys <laughs> playing savage wiffle ball and they're tossing right. their asses off. And they've got like kids from the neighborhood coming over and hanging out. I'm like, Ken, you know, I mean, your kids are here. He said, that's ah, nothing they haven't heard at home. Yeah. <laughs> and had, uh, oh, and they used to, they would like, slide into second base on asphalt oh wow oh yeah oh it was uh, it was brutal yeah that was uh it was just their competitive spirit uh kenny batted cow-handed how's that well you bat you've got a split grip and you bat reverse-handed and uh it's 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 you'd have to see it to see see what was going on but uh, uh, again, you couldn't believe the spryness. They had three guys in that gym who raw bench six hundred. Wow! And they only had like a hundred members. And this is in West Haven. West Haven was different. New Haven was where the college was and the money. Right. West, West Haven was like heavy Italian. They had a pizza place next door, and they finished the workout, and they go, "Hey, Mark." Call next door and order some pie. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Coke, Coke, Mark, 
call next door, get some pie, go to some pie. I'm like, yeah, you were like, apple pie? Yeah, they're like, what are you talking about? Pecan, did, uh, apple? What? Did, what? did Ken own the muscle factory? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was the boss. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To his own detriment. I saw him go after a, a, a new client. The guy came in, and the guy came in, and he was very well-dressed. And he, well, I was sitting there with Ken. They would like to play P-knuckle. They would play P-knuckle at the counter. There'd be like three 300-pounders at the counter. They'd play P-knuckle. And I would just stand there and drink beer. And uh, so this very well-dressed guy come in who I guess he was from uh, Yale, right? And he walked to the counter, and Ken looked up, and he goes, not for you. <laughs> the guy looked at him like, excuse me? And, he, and Ken looked up again, and he goes, not for you. And the guy goes, uh, then the guy gets the attitude because he looks down and he says, um, could you fetch the owner? Yeah, which is the wrong thing to say. And Fantana goes, I am the owner. And I said, this place is not for you. Now you need to get out of here. Yeah. And the guy bowed up a little bit and Ken got off that stool and that guy backpedaled so fast <laughs> for his own betterment. Yeah. And I, th- so I said, Ken, what's the deal? I said, that guy wanted to come in and lay down money. He said, Martin, he said, I'll tell you exactly what happened. So I said, that guy comes in here going to pay me $400 for the year. I'm going to take it. I'm going to have a great time tonight on that $400. Then I got to put up with that ass for a year. Yeah, yeah. He said, I learned my lesson. He yeah. said, I can't do it. He said, I've he got wasn't it. having this place to, to make money, you know. He wanted a place to lift with his buddies. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. And again, of course, the purity of the place worked to his own financial detriment. Right. Because half the time, half the guys couldn't pay because for real reason. Oh, you know, I just got arrested for non-payment of child support. Yeah. Oh, I just fell off my bike and got run over. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just got arrested. You, you know what I mean? It was never ending. But in the end, it meant that, you know, Kenny was always, you know, short. So it was. Uh... But, you know, I, we trained there and had great, great sessions. Uh, he squatted nine Whatever the kilo is, nine fifty three for a double ass on heels. Ridiculous. And now, no shirt, no shirt double was six thirty three. Now he always oh, did doubles, right? He refused to do singles. No, I don't say he refused. I mean, you know, a single occurs when you attempt a double and it doesn't work out. Yeah. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's where the right. singles happen, right? But he was uh, more no, of a. Not- he was more of a bench guy. He was like a powerlifting architect for the bench, and he had uh, talk about his yeah, he, his bench style the, and what he used to well, do. Well, he viewed the bench he viewed the bench press as a technical lift, and he right. did. Well, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. He'd come in and he did heavy dumbbell inclines, <clears throat> paused for six reps, and he felt that that's where his power came from for the bench mm. right but i mean he pushed up to some mind-blowing weight i think he's i don't know what, what did he do 420 for six paused and, and didn't he always do pause because he felt it it, it uh, incorporated more muscle fibers and made you stronger yeah yeah he had a great way of putting it. he said it gives me the contraction i'm looking for mark yeah. 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, Kenny, I bet it does. So, but anyway, so so and again, they and they were medium medium to low rep trainers, and you know, uh, did a pretty good array of assistance work, which kind of fell in what Hugh said. Again, I would call it Hugh cut in half. Mm. You squat, you bench, you deadlift. Uh, you do some sort of overhead press. You do some arms. Now, okay, if you if you feel inclined to do some inclines, that's great. Some people feel inclined to do press behind the necks, whatever. It's power bodybuilding, right? Uh, and again, that that was what we did at uh, you know at at day and time, and and everybody got results. But there was a definite you've got a definite transitory shift from Cassidy with these all out blitzkrieg sessions twice a week to Chalet with his ultra minimalism. Then in back to this Fantano thing, which sort of power bodybuilding, which is what Kirk wanted to do. So then I introduced Kirk to Ken and that's really when Kirk's bench press took off. Kirk had been stuck like at 420. He went up to there? He went up there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He came up when I was living up there. And uh, we got a, an audience with Ken. And Ken schooled him good. And, and you know, Kirk is a very good, uh, uh, he's, he's a very good student. Yeah. He picks up quick. And he was a natural for this, this particular style. But Marty, uh, talk about the style real quick. How did you go about adopting his style? Why? How is it different? And then you still use this style today. You use it. Jim uses it. I use it now. Well, I think I probably have a pale imitation of it. I think that Kirk is a, is is pretty good. He doesn't quite have the the leg drive that Ken had. Ken had this sort of unique thing. His benches actually started in his feet. Mm-hmm. And he jolt his feet, which send a, sent a jolt up through the hips. And he'd expand his waist and his chest. And this would launch the bar upward. Okay? He'd use an arc back. <clears throat> As he explained to me, he said, in the bench press... The weakest muscles are at the top, the triceps. He said in the squat and the deadlift, the strongest muscles are at the top. Mm-hmm. Right? You have the best leverage at the top of a squat and the top of a deadlift. Not so in the bench press. In the bench press, if you, uh, the triceps are weak and you have to uh, accommodate that. So he taught this gentle arc, right? <clears throat> which was revelatory for me. But he had this jolt that was transmitted from his feet through his hips, through his expanding torso, which launched the bar. Then with this arc back, it was all very... And his his uh, his waist expansion was so dramatic that he would routinely snap the rivets off Inzer power belts. Jeez. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Impossible. Oh, yeah. um, uh, but that's that shows the violent nature of his uh, torso expansion, right? Yeah. What, what, right, and that and that's what exploded the bar off the chest, and then he used that that arc back, 
uh, to the rack. And it was technical perfection. Oh, he was very beautiful at explaining it, too. He'd sit down with pencil and paper. He had very beautiful um, handwriting. It was like, uh, or his drawings, he had stick figures. And he'd show the uh, geometrical engineering type stuff, right? Very well thought out. Mm Mm-hmm. I wish I had those. Where, two, where two. did he get all this from? Did he just kind of uh, come from his own from his own head? Yeah, he wasn't a product of anybody, to my knowledge. So then you start adopting this technique and work training with him, and then you got really good results out of it, and and thought, well, Karwaski needs to learn this because he's struggling on his bench. Well, it didn't really even concern me. I knew I knew gold when I see it. It was just like, uh, Kirk, you need to get a load of this. Mm-hmm. And he was a malleable student, and he picked right up on it. Sort of has the right body type for it. So he was able to get that sort of that cocked leg position. And you, you pin your shoulders, but your butt's kind of barely on the bench. Yep. And... Uh, he's a big boy. So when he gets a big inhale and uses a fairly wide grip, he has a short, he has a short rep strip, particularly if he arches back and off, which he does very, very nicely. If you look at his benches from the side, this guy, he's got a beautiful upward arc. So he's a, he's a, he's a damn good bencher. And he just kind of got, uh, traction later in his career with his benching. If he just if he just stuck with it, I think for another three years, I think his bench probably, particularly if he'd, um, I suspect he probably could have hit a six thirty or a six thirty five raw bench. He did six hundred in training, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When maybe two seventy five, two eighty. So if he let it, and and he he could too, if he let his body weight drift a little bit upwards from that, if that was an important thing to do, I think he could have done it. But it really wasn't right within within his competitive world. Uh, He was always one of the top benchers in his weight class. There was no need to do anything different or anything crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, He was uh, ultimately he was built to bench. So, uh, you know, that, that, that all, I think that's kind of it. I think we've kind of covered everything that's going on simultaneously there, right? And the, my Fantano uh, apprenticeship there, uh, we ended up on one incredible road trip where myself, 420-pound Gene Denae, <laughs> who had a 950 squat, and a 633 bench press and was five foot seven. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> played played double A catcher up until he weighed 350. Wow. Oh, yeah. Extremely athletic. And a guy named Danny Dierko who had a, a 600 pound raw bench and a 900 pound squat at 275. Mm. So those three and Kenny those guys accompanied me to Scranton Pennsylvania for a competition I was entered in 
So we're in my Dodge minivan, my four-cylinder Dodge minivan. So Ken goes, okay. He said, we've got to adjust the weight. He said, or we could tip over. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> because, I was, because I was small, right? I was uh, only 220, right? And Derek was 280, so he's the next one. He said, so Gene, you have to sit behind Marty. He said, that way you counterbalance his little pussy ass, all right? And he said, now, uh, me and Danny, we kind of balance each other out. He said, that way we're good. All right, you can go now. Let me tell you, each, each cylinder had a guy, right? <laughs> no kidding. Oh, man, it took forever. It was like, you know, it was like 45 miles an hour floored. <laughs> yeah. Like a low rider, not meaning to be. Oh, no, it was horrible. And then... Then we stopped at a, what was it, a Sizzler Steakhouse. Mm. Now, I walked at the end of that line. I had never seen a person get four baked potatoes <laughs> in addition to two whole meals, right? It, there was a special on ribs that night, so Fantana got, like, two rib dinners. Everybody got two rib dinners, <laughs> and then Fantana got four baked potatoes, right? Man. And we're sitting down and I'm looking down to take, Oh, and then they all got desserts cause they had some sort of free dessert bar. So they're stuffing their faces with dessert. It looked like some sort of a dinosaur boneyard <laughs> looking down the table. afterwards. It's like, God, man, these guys can eat man. Uh, and again, but that's how they kept this, this, this gargantuan size. These guys were serious eaters. They weren't stuffing or showing off. Right. They just, that's what it took to fuel those bodies right so they would go to places like that or all you can eat chinese places yeah you get more bang for your buck uh yeah and again uh you get fueled up in a place like that and you know that uh, for for a body that size that's that's important if you want to keep the upward the upper trend going because you can't keep that forever yeah so anyway so that's uh that's kind of that Outstanding. So maybe we end it there. Where do you want to pick up next time? What, what do you think? I don't know, man. We'll have to think about that, don't we? Well, <laughs> all right. You think about that. And then, Put our heads together. And then we'll pick up there. Uh, maybe, maybe nothing from this point forward is interesting. Well, how's your cat doing? Is he doing good? Uh, He's, uh, that buddy? That buddy seems to be under control. Is lit anything on fire today? So far, I think he learned his lesson. All right, well, good deal. Well, we'll we'll pick up right around this area next time and, yeah, and go. Oh, oh, with... oh, oh! By the way, but I, man, yeah. I might have something else that might supersede it. I've been um, <clears throat> talking with Ed Cohn, so it's possible that we might get Ed to come on and talk about. Uh, could be an old timer like uh, maybe recollections of Doug Furness or. Yeah, man. Yeah, we could do some. We could I do think some, I can come up with some questions for Ed. That's have him on. He's welcome anytime. Thinking about maybe some training too. He and I are uh, <clears throat> could kind of lay the table on the kind of the, the training philosophy that he has. I used to build Kirk, very similar to, to Hughes' stuff. That is largely lost in this day and age, and I still think for the equipment free drug free athlete this is the this is the boss yeah so again we, he loves to talk training i love to talk training 
And I don't think training's talked enough about. You don't need a damn coach. All right. Well, good deal. Let's get him on ASAP, huh? Yep. In the meantime, check out Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher at ironcompany.com. You can also pick up one of his books, Purposeful Primitive and Strong Medicine at Iron Company. Visit Iron Company for all your gym equipment and flooring needs. We've got strength equipment, power bars, belts, anything you guys might need. Uh, we're also doing a lot of uh, custom laser engraving on urethane dumbbells and barbells and plates and things like that, kettlebells. Uh, so hey, give hey, us a holler. Hey, hey, can I, yeah. Can I ask you something? Yep. What's, your, what's your best-selling uh, fan bike? Fan bike, uh, we do a lot of the assault bikes to the government uh, in CrossFit places. Uh, We also, the one that I have that I really like, too, is made by Spirit Fitness. Uh, It's a heavy-duty fan bike. What's what's unique about it? What's unique about it? It's just real heavy-duty. It's got got all the programs we need on there. Uh, It's... It's a nice-looking bike. Uh, you know, you have to be careful when you buy one of these fan bikes because a lot of them are residential, and they're only rated up to, I don't know, a couple hundred pounds, 250 pounds or whatever. Not that everybody's going to weigh that much, but you have to kind of look at that in that. That kind of tells you how the, the frame is, is built and how heavy-duty that is and how long it's going to last. So uh, if you can, it's well worth uh putting out a few extra bucks for a commercial grade bike you know it'd be a lot more solid it feels like you're riding a tank yeah yeah that's what i like jim you still using that recumbent thing every day i did an hour this morning an hour but you like multitask while you're doing that right dude i was blowing my goose call today man (laughs) while you're on the bike (laughs) trying to catch up to my son so i practiced for a solid hour Oh, you need some video of that. That could go viral. Yeah, man. You got to multitask. Insane muscular person right before he goes out for serial killing. How far was the shotgun from the bike? <laughs> How far what? How far was the shotgun from the bike? Dude, there's always a shotgun. Yeah. Nearby. And you put yourself in a duck blind as you're riding your bike doing the duck call. Covered in reeds. And- <laughs> right. Calling to each other. All right, and you've got some good articles on your website, BassBarbell.com. So uh, you've got uh, you've probably got some hunting stuff on there too, not just training, but uh, you know, hunting life stories. You do anything with uh, cooking? Are you much of a uh, a cook? No, I have a cook. It's Marty. Uh, I don't mess with. Yeah, you. Marty's the cook around here. Yeah, that's right, boys. So. I'm the Gabby Hayes of this outfit. <laughs> All right, guys. Good one. We'll talk next week. All right. Later.